content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. listeners to WTF You're Talking About, the podcast where we don't know what we're talking about until you do. I'm Katie. And I'm Decker. And we're here to ask each other, what the fuck are you talking about? It's true. <laughs> so here's how this is going to work. Got six categories of topics, and the next episode's contents will be determined by the roll of a die. The categories are as follows. True crime. Whoa, you threw, you I changed it. <laughs> I did. I threw in, I threw in two I was, words. I was shook. <laughs> to your core? Yeah. De- Decker is shooketh. I am also. Oh. I am shaking. The categories remain the same, though. Good. True crime, paranormal, history, education, science and technology, entertainment, and current events. We'll be using an eight-sided die. So if you roll a one, you're going to roll a six-sided die for those same six categories. But the topic has to be local. So Idaho, any state bordering bordering Idaho. Ooh. And if you roll an eight, then that's basically a wild, and you get to pick your category. Yeah, it's the ultimate win and loss at the same time. It's, it's like, really great if you all, if they have something that you really want to talk about uh-huh. immediately. You're like, fuck yeah, I get it, no matter but what. But otherwise, you just have like the whole. Otherwise, wide you're world like, of stuff it's, and it's everything. Not down. Yeah, the universe is pretty big. It, it, it is. <laughs> so. it, it's expansive. Yeah, it's still universal. expanding. <laughs> what? It's Universal. <laughs> universal Studios. That's all I can talk about. <laughs> I've already talked about Universal Studios. It's true. Yeah, it's already taken. <laughs> We really need to make a checklist, by the way. We need to make sure, like, I mean, I don't think we're at that point where we've done that many things, but we're going to get to the point where, like, we got to hope that none of us like, I'm going to talk about this. We got to talk about that. Well, shit. I was just thinking about that. I was like, <laughs> no, we're fine because I have a list of everything that I've ever done, but what if I talk about something you've all talked about, but because I, I forgot that you talked about it. It's like, well, fuck, I don't have a list of that. Yeah. <laughs> I need lists of the lists I have so that I know which lists I need to make. Yeah. God damn it. We have to like make a universal list and be like, things we've done. And here's a list of sheets. You should see the list in my Google Keep. I have so many fucking lists. Like, and I started to color code them because you can do that. So I have many, like, it's 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 a long list of lists. Yep. <laughs> this is. Yeah, I see it. I can feel it. <laughs> my glasses go. I see you wearing glasses. I feel like I'm just. Do I just gonna be blind? Uh, hold on, hold on. I think I saw them behind you. Oh, duh. Gosh, everything's behind me today. Ugh. I was like, I've seen your glasses, not Turn on your face around. today. Turn around. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm glad you saw me wearing glasses. I know. <laughs> that reminded you that you needed glasses. I'm like, how can I see even? Where are my lenses? <laughs> how can I even see? I still need to go pick up my contacts. You what? I still need to go pick up my contacts. Oh, I was like, I, what like, were these ordered words? them. It's funny thing. Funny because I ordered them, and then. I never paid for them, and I paid for them, and now they're ready for pickup. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, shit, I keep forgetting to go. I need to do that. Yes, yeah. you do need that to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you have your glasses, but... I know, but if I want to look good on stage, I want to have my contacts. You don't want to, like, blind the audience with your reflection? Shing! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> your reflective surface, I, not your reflection. I'm blindingly gorgeous. <laughs> By that I mean, I blind you. <laughs> and I'm gorgeous. There was, oh god, I don't even remember what show I was watching, but somebody was wearing, they had a really 
sparkly like watch or bracelet or something and it was just like the stars aligned so perfectly at the angle I was sitting at to where the lights hit that that it like blinded me it was the weirdest thing Mm. that's my story (laughs) special thanks special thanks to (laughs) eyes we don't (laughs) special thanks to eyes yeah for allowing me to be blinded for who I am (laughs) if I had a ping pong if you had a ping pong (laughs) I give up I'm just gonna stop that sentence and move right on we're in for a treat tonight (laughs) yep Words are hard. I have trouble wordsing, and this is my life. It smells like tomato soup. I smell it too. <laughs> I don't know why, because there is no tomato soup downstairs. Mm. Ghost soup. <laughs> Anyways, ghost soup. Hey. So, Decker, what the fuck are you talking well, about? Well, last time you had you had an entertainment role. I had an entertainment role. Yes. I mean, I've treated it like a wild, but it worked out. Because <laughs> I'm just so used to it now. Fuck like, you. I know, God help me the time that I'm like, I had a wild. Oh, uh, you definitely had history education. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I misunderstood the <laughs> I'm going to tell you history. <laughs> the history of how I forgot what I did. Yeah. Mm, let's trace our steps. No. Uh, yeah, I got entertainment. This works out because... Uh, I'm going to be talking about the Amber Spyglass. <gasps> finally. You finally finished it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so much. So much listening! I'm sorry, I just yelled at everyone. <laughs> but it was, it was a fuck ton. Because, okay, like, hold on, hold the on. last two books together, I don't think, are as long as this book was. This book was 14 hours listening to, and I had to speed it up. And even then, it was long. I need to know right now. If it caused you physical pain. It hurt pretty good. Okay, good. Yeah, because... Not just me. It... Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are fucking plot holes. And when I say plot holes, it's... I think that's what the next book is going up for. Mm-hmm. After now knowing that there's, like, the new trilogy coming up, I can see maybe where it's trying to go. But bear with me. There's a lot in this one. Uh, this one I'm going to keep very top level, because, again, there's a lot. But, let's just go ahead and jump in. So, uh, Amber Spyglass, okay? The, the third book in his Dark Materials trilogy. And what's interesting about this one that I didn't know about the previous ones was every chapter had a quote. Mm-hmm. And it was by, like, either uh, John Milton, or like, Emily Dickinson, or William Blake, or uh, somewhere along those lines... Because uh, it was, like, hints at Paradise Lost, which I have over here somewhere. There we go. Cool. Paradise Lost. I actually have the book right next to me. John Milton. Yes, you're now presenting the book to an audio device. Here we go. It's starting... <laughs> oh! Look at the chapter I found. <laughs> I, I just flipped up. Satan with Adam and Eve. Mmm, sexy. This is great, actually. <laughs> that does is... not look comfortable. He's like... Kneeling on one knee in the like I'm gonna propose to you position, and but she's like hanging from his neck. Uh, what's happening over here kissing. though? What the fuck's happening with this even? Oh hold on, I think that's a snake. It's a snake. That's, that must Major. be Satan. Yeah, but why is? Okay. Why is any of that? Same with Adam and Eve. Okay, cool. Anyways, um, this is great because this actually has part of to do with the book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, last time. 
on our episode, I'd recently talked about the Subtle Knife. And if you recall, the end of the Subtle Knife has Lyra disappears, Will is with Baruch and Bathalmos, and uh, they're like, hey, you have to come with us. And Will's just like, eh, where'd she go? <laughs> so this book comes in, and all, you know what? Here's the thing that just my brain can't either, either I missed, I didn't hear it, because I was listening to it at one and a half times speed, sometimes two times speed, because I'm like, I have to get through this book um, while still enjoying it and actually hearing words. But do you recall when I first talked about The Golden Compass, how I talked about how I read part of The Amber Spyglass, and I swear I remember there being an angel that self-destructed. Do you remember me mentioning that? I think so. Because I recall that super vividly, and in this, in any of these books, that doesn't happen, to my knowledge. I cannot recall a scene where that happened. Yeah, so I don't remember that being a thing. Yeah. There was a witch that basically did that, but... Yeah. Well, that was at the end of Subtle Line. Yeah. She's like, oh, shit, I didn't know! (laughs) (laughs) Oops, this knife went into my chest! It's fine. So, anyways, I just wanted to make sure, because I was like, I'm crazy, because I recall that scene so vividly. Like, in my head, I know the character talking, it was Will, I recall another character being there, I remember them blowing up and somehow it stopping some shit. I must have made that up. Because I literally Probably. for years recall that scene. But anyways, um, so Amber Spyglass. We start off with uh, a scene with Miss Coulter, which is uh, Lyra's mother, mm-hmm. taking care of Lyra, and she's been put into like a drug-induced sleep. Right. Um, she's being fed some concoction. I can't recall what it was, but basically, every so often, as soon as Lyra starts stirring, she tips uh or lifts Lyra's head and basically force feeds her Mm -hmm. this drink and meanwhile the monkey nearby is like getting ready to spring on pan he's like yeah 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 like away from the stir to choke choke the life out of him such an asshole i know right so uh but we have lyra there and she's dreaming this whole time so I'm going to focus on her for the first bit. I'm going to try and do this in chunks. I'm going to focus solely on Lyra and Miss Coulter. Then I'm going to jump over to Will. And then I'm going to jump over... Actually, you know what? I'm going to focus on them. Then I'm going to focus on uh, Dr. Mary. Mary, who is not very much in this book, which I was kind of surprised by. She's, like, she's in there for very important parts, mm-hmm. but I was expecting more of her and I didn't get that. I was like, where is she even? <laughs> so, uh, and sorry, you said her name was... Mary. Mary. Right, okay, so Dr. Mary and then Will. So, first let's go with Lyra and Miss Coulter. So, Lyra and Miss Coulter are in a cave in the Himalayas in their own world. And there is a little girl who I think her name was Anna. So, I had to get, I had to get freaking spark notes and wiki and all the whole shebang. Where did you go? Come back to me. There we go. So. Yes, I still use Spark Notes to make sure because I was listening to a lot. I hey, Spark Notes is still good. It's great. Uh, I did notice that actually a lot of these things leave out very important information. Uh-huh. So uh, there was a girl who was coming up to visit with her dad. Her name was Ama, and Miss Coulter at this time she was basically acting as if she was like. Not I don't think it was necessarily a part of the church, but she had taken a vow of silence against, like, men. 
mm-hmm. and stuff. And so she would talk with this little girl, but she wouldn't talk with the father. And she'd always be in this cave to come bring her stuff. And then they, she'd say goodbye, and they'd leave. And Alma ends up going to, like, the king of her village, uh, trying to help out uh, Miss Coulter. And, and the reason for this is... Miss Coulter mentions that her daughter's been put underneath a sleeping spell, and she wishes to help Lyra. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to help. And so she tells partial truths, and apparently this king just knows that she's lying. And that's one interesting thing about this book, is when someone lies in this book, either they are 100% believed or 100% disbelieved. There is never, like, I get parts or, like, suspicion. Mm-hmm. It's just yay or nay, which is one thing I thought was a bit curious to do. Um, especially if it was, like, someone who was lying, for the most part, unless it was, like, Miss Coulter or Lyra, they were immediately found out. Which, um, I'm not sure how much how i feel about that but it's fine it's not a big part of the story necessarily not until way later but she gets this kind of drug that she's supposed to waft into lyra's nose to help wake her up Mm -hmm. and she goes back to the cave to go and try and help her but she realizes that something seems a bit amiss because she sees she overhears lyra starting to wake up and she's struggling, and she hears, like, the commotion, and she's asking for Will, and she's freaking out and pans. And she's like, wait, hold yeah. on, this is, yeah. this is suspect. Right, this is not, right, good. Against and so, her will. So she uh, gets put back into this sleep, and Alma decides that she's going to try and help wake up uh, Lyra. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, cue to Lyra, she's sleeping, and she's having all these dreams about Roger mm-hmm. and being in like this weird world where it, like things just don't seem right. Things seem a little bit like bland and like void. And as she's talking with Roger and she's apologizing for failing him, he says that he's basically in the world of the dead. And she, she promises that she's going to come there and come save him. Uh, to which Roger's like, no, you won't. You're not going to come save me. And it gets like really sad to the point where she's like, no, I promise. She's I'm like, going to come will. get you. I will do this thing. And what's funny is while he doubts, he also ends up like shifting over and saying, well, but you're Lyra though. So, mm-hmm. you know, you will, I guess if you say so. And that's pretty much all that happens is her discussing. And it kind of cuts in and out multiple times while she's with Miss Coulter that, uh, the whole scene that happens there. Okay. Yeah. So she ends up having these dreams multiple times and, uh, Alma decides that she's going to try and wake her up. So that's really all that happens in the cave for the most part. There's nothing else really crazy there mm-hmm. uh, other than like some like character building and seeing the strain on this Coulter in terms of like, she's starting to like, or at least she's, she's realizing that how much she loves her daughter and she's, She's very torn with it because her whole life has been trying to gain power and win people over. She's kind of and... realizing that she's been a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> she's realizing she's a terrible person. Unfortunately, her demon who starts speaking, I guess we don't really catch his name. At least I don't think I did. But Evil he starts speaking. Evil golden monkey asshole. Yeah. And what's funny is like she starts feeling and the golden monkey is almost in a sense trying to dissuade her from that. Which I thought was really curious because normally... 
like your conscience and stuff. Like you can have that battle, but anytime she started having a conscience, her conscience in mm-hmm. a sense was like, nah, no, don't no, no, do no. it. No, 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 no. Um, so that's her. Now you kill over or move over to uh, Mary, right? She in the last book she had gone through a uh, tear mm-hmm. into uh, Chigatsi, and while she was there, she ends up finding another tear, and she goes to that one, and she ends up entering into a really weird world where there's like these was it like three legged birds that kind of uh have like a bizarre wingspan like the geometrical shapes don't make sense and there's these giant trees that end up dropping these seed pods Mm -hmm. that are incredibly hard and have an interesting resin to them now when she stumbles in there and she starts uh investigating the seed pod she sees a uh troop of uh creatures rolling her way and she's really caught off guard by it because she's wondering why these creatures are on wheels it doesn't make sense like you have to have like a rotor and an axle and all these things mm-hmm. and it just doesn't make sense how a creature could be on wheels to which then she starts laughing because she realizes that they're riding on these seed pods mm-hmm. now mentally i'm try- still just trying to figure out how the hell they're doing because it's like almost like they put their feet in the seed pods but like, are they just like barrel rolling through the valley? Like, I couldn't quite get the grasped. way that I imagined this, which I'm sure is 100 percent wrong. But this is always how it manifests itself in my brain: is that everything is in this world that she's climbed into is very mechanical. Yeah, because I also have like diamond shaped bodies. Yeah, so in in my head, everything was very steampunk. Mmm, I can see that. Um, yeah, uh, but these creatures have like a trunk. I, I was thinking very much like a heffalump. <laughs> Was how I envisioned it. And so, and I guess they have claws, but they don't have hands? Which also really confused me, because they use the claws for, like, the seed pods. And they have their trunks, because they were really fascinated with her hands. And they're like, whoa, mm-hmm. wait, she because she ends up, like, you reading a book and stuff. And she, she's like, how can you hold this and read? Like, mm-hmm. how do you get to flip pages? But these creatures, uh, she calls out to them, and they're not hostile towards her. And she realizes that they find great pleasure in her being there, but they can't talk to each other, mm-hmm. at least not yet, because they speak a totally different language, which is words plus gestures. So it'd be like if if I wanted to say two, two, and two, mm-hmm. each time I did that, I'd have to do some sort of bot, like mannerism to dictate what two I was saying. Mm-hmm. So... um. But eventually she starts figuring out. So she uses her arm like a trunk because she finds like if she says a word and swipes left, it means something different than saying it and then swiping right. Like Tinder. I was going to say, that's like. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Swipe left. I don't even know which one is the good one. It's like, is do you swipe left if you like them or right? Swiping right is if you like them. Swiping left is if you don't like them. And then swiping up is a super like. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that was It's more powerful. And if you use the free version, it's. Once a day. There's a paid version? There's a paid version. And that way you can swipe anyone in the, like, known universe. What the fuck? You're like, hey, you know what? I want to date someone in freaking Sicily. I guess, you know, I'm not there, but fuck it. I'll just say I'm there. Sao Paulo! So, yes! <laughs> um, but the seed pods apparently have been dying out. And this causes great distress to, uh, they're called Mufla. Is, uh... 
the name for them. Which is, I, I think is what kind of gave me the so, Hufflump kind and, of and thing. And I realized that, like, based on their description, this is not, like, what they would look like at all. But in my brain, they're, like, these weird steampunk... Elephants? Uh, elephant gazelles. Yes, I see it. You okay. It. Yeah. No, no, no. That's exactly what it is. Um, and she finds that they're distressed because, I guess, all these seed pods have been dying. And these are their main way of travel and they care very much about these seed pods to, to where they, they protect them the whole time. And she, in understanding this, she asks them, I forget how the discussion necessarily comes about, but she ends up asking them about dust and they have a different name for dust mm -hmm. in that world. And I guess the seed pods, if once punctured, the resin inside of them is like super full of dust. It's like it's way concentrated. And what Mary ends up doing is she uses one of the broken seed pods to create a spyglass to see the dust. Mm -hmm. And after some manipulation of it and crafting different lenses and getting some help from the Mufla, she can start to see these dust and the conglomerates of them. And she can see that kids don't have dust in them really, mm -hmm. but like the oldest of the Mufla has a ton of it. They're just basically covered in it. And yes. Uh huh. Uh, she can use, she uses the spyglass to also see the tears, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So so she could faintly see them at first, but then they were much more clear okay. with that glass. At least I remember that as well. And as they talk about it, the Mufa were actually confused that she couldn't see dust mm -hmm. because they can see it clear as day. And so I thought that was a bit curious because it's like, okay, these creatures can easily see dust, but we can't, at least not unless it's like in the north where there's a, a massive concentration of it. And what ends up happening is with this spyglass, she comes to understand several things that the innocence of children, right? And stuff keeps them from having dust. And I believe it's, it's so the, the story is so tricky with what dust does or what the, like, or based on something that dust becomes there, right? Cause it's not like, Maybe dust doesn't necessarily have an action, but based on an action, more dust is. Mm -hmm. Right? So, yeah, so just stay with me. And I'm, I might need your help to just kind of recall some of this stuff. But I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So, it's been a couple months. <laughs> so, after she does her whole thing, and, and she's also supposed to be the serpent yes. in the story. She's supposed to, or at least that's what the shadow figures or shadows tell her that she has to she has to play the role of the serpent and so she's trying to find lyra and will but she hasn't found them so she's in the mufala world and that's kind of the end of her scene for the vast majority of the book mm -hmm. until like the very end which that's that's what really caught me off guard is i'm like okay what is she doing even <laughs> she's just in this mufala world um now, now we have Will, who most of the story resides around him up until he gets back with Lyra. Mm -hmm. So he is looking for Lyra and trying to find a way to get in contact with her. And he has two the two angels, right? So you have Balthamos and... Who's the other one I said? They will start with bees. Baruch. Uh, yeah. Baruch, right? Now, 
we come to find that as he's looking for Lyra, that they are very scared. And Will blows it off for the most part. He's like, I don't care how scared you are. I'm finding Lyra. And at some point, they... I think they hear like some sort of trumpet or some sort of call, mm-hmm. but they realize that the um, the chariot is what they call it mm-hmm. has appeared, and all of a sudden they become greatly afraid because they're under attack by some angels, and th- one of the angels is calling out and he's like, "My region, I found them! Come, come!" and most of the angels die, but all of a sudden you see this giant speeding figure coming down. And I think there was a first spear that was chucked and missed. And the angels are greatly afraid. They're like, we have to get out of here. Like, we need to go. And Will eventually uh, concedes and opens up a tear and quickly jumps through it, closing it just quickly enough before the spear would have come through and hit him. And that's portrayed with the, um, the book says that there was a wave of pressure that as soon as he closed the tear that went right through him. Mm-hmm. So basically indicating that if he had not shut that tear, he would have died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, Yikes. and then they explained to him why that was so important for them to get away because, um, this regent, his name is Metatron ends up turning out to be, uh, Enoch, mm-hmm. in terms of the books. So he's, what was it, like sixth generations away from Adam? I think that's... Because it goes like Adam, son of Seth, Enoch? son of... Uh, there's like a huge list of stuff. But um, yeah, so Enoch was once a man and ends up becoming an angel. And I don't recall it ever indicating how they became an angel. Um, I don't remember that at all. It just like, they just became I one. don't remember that either, yeah. Now, what I can think of is, later on in the book, maybe the desire to continue existing, in a sense, helped manifest that. Maybe. Yeah. Again, I'll talk about why I'm thinking that later. But, yeah, this angel is, I guess, a... He is the... A regent, in terms of a definition, is someone that's overseeing rule in, in the stead of a monarch that is, like, sick or ill or unable to fulfill their duties. So, it's basically, like, think of... um. Uh, martial law. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if someone were to, like, like okay, you can take over because we are not equipped to handle this kind of thing. So, Will is now back in Lyra's world in, like, Russia, and he meets up with, like, this priest who gives him vodka and tries to tell him to stay, but he doesn't end up staying. And he find, he meets up with the bears as he's going to a village because this village is under attack by these bears or Panzerbjorn. And... With that, one of the bears that comes out is York Bernison, which Yay. is yeah. So they finally meet up, but they're attacking these villagers, and Will is not having any. And Will's very, he's very like I kind of imagine him being like a child version of like John Wick in a sense. Like now he's not like a badass, but he's just like I don't. He's like I'm just gonna do shit. <laughs> I feel like he's reached the point where he's like I am so over this. No, I want to find. Yeah, and it's like I just I want to get to put this the in perspective. This has only been a couple weeks. Since this whole story began. Like, Golden Compass, like, they were both 12. They are still 12. Yes. And they've had a real hard couple that of weeks. That is one thing that blew my mind is, like, like with, like, Harry Potter and, like, the other series, like, they span through years. Uh-huh. This book literally just spans through, like, I think several weeks. Like, maybe a month and a half, max. Uh-huh. Well, and I think it's hard to, hard to like, gauge the time frame as well because they're going between, like, 
different dimensions. Yeah, and, but not like not necessarily dimensions. And don't say day and night. Dimensions. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, he meets up with York Barrison and he challenges York to a fight. And York's like, "Dude, I'll just I'll crush you." <laughs> and again, I'm paraphrasing greatly, but was like, "You're you're right." So I should get some sort of armor, like your helmet or something. Like somebody can give me at least a fighting chance. Because don't you want an honorable fight? And York is like, oh, fine, whatever. And he gives them his helmet, and Will pulls out his knife, and he's like, huh. And he just starts chipping away corners of the helmet until there's just nothing left. And he's like, wow, well, I guess your armor really does suck. <laughs> well, okay, now you don't have a helmet, and now I definitely know I can win, so you're ready to fight? <laughs> and York's like, fuck. <laughs> he's like, man, this guy, uh, this guy tricked me, and he ruined my armor. Which, yeah, that was unfortunate. But... Yorick concedes, and I thought that was an interesting way to play it, because he basically showed, he showed his power without hurting someone, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's really cool, because most of the time it's like, you have to be very destructive, and he's like, no, I just, I'm just showing you, think, you especially can... having that, prove that point with the character of uh, Yorick is especially powerful, because that was what started his, like, shame spiral in the first place, was he was in this match with another bear, and because of... I don't think it was something somebody said, was it? He was in the match with another bear because I believe you're talking about... Oh, gosh. His name was up here, too, because it comes up later on the book. But it was the other king of the bears. He had tricked Yorick, and he had fought... Um, what was it? He fought Yorick? No, he didn't fight Yorick. That's from the movie. Bullshit. Yeah. Um, he... No, I, I don't... Uh, him, uh, Yorick I liked another bear. Yes. I remember that part. And the bear ended up killing his own father. So right. that's the other king. Right. And he had, he had like placed the blame or something on York to where he got, uh, got uh-huh. outcast. And that's when his whole thing spiraled because he was no longer an honorable bear. Yes. Right. So he'd done something or like he'd, uh, yeah. He, he was, uh, there was some sort of fight that he had been in where he had killed his opponent, and I think he was ashamed. Oh, over that. another bear. He killed he, a, over another bear. Yes. It wasn't against the king. Yeah, I was like, that's <clears throat> later. That's um, later. And that was when, when he, like, yeah, cause his, turned to drink. That's right, because York was, York's father was the king, and he was, in a sense, like a prince. Mm-hmm. And the other bear, basically, he drugged that bear in the fight to make sure he was uh, weaker and stuff. Or no, no. Or he spiked York's thing to where like he was in a rage and ended up uh-huh. accidentally killing the other bear. Uh-huh. And over the uh, she-bear, I think is what they call her. And then York gets banished. And then the other, whatever his name is, kills his dad mm-hmm. and becomes king. So... That's a whole story. So that's but, why I think that's it's powerful to do that with Yorick, where he's like, well, we've resolved this without someone dying. Yeah. Which I think is very good. But he ends up going with Yorick, uh, I believe, south, and they end up finding a tear to go into... Oh, no, no. They don't find a tear, because they're in that world. So they go south, and they eventually get towards the Himalayas, which is where uh, Lyra is at with Miss Coulter. Mm-hmm. And I know I jumped a scene actually because Lee Scoresby died in the previous book. Yeah. Right. And uh, York finds out about this through Serafina Pecola. Uh, and he goes through the terror. He finds Lee Scoresby. What's interesting is he sees his body and it doesn't shy away from the grotesque nature of his body, mm-hmm. even though it has been preserved. But the part that really threw me off was York eating Lee Scoresby. And I was like, huh, 
I'm sorry, friend. Bye. <laughs> I mean, he is a bear. Yeah, he is a bear. Because like... he needs sustenance to travel mm-hmm. further. But that ended up happening. That got addressed. I was disappointed that Seraphina Peckless' character wasn't developed a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Because of the failure of Lee Scoresby, there's not really... She doesn't really get like a redemption shot, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or at least n- nothing fully broadcast. That was a little bit disappointing to me. Well, I think that's part of, you know, one of the messages of the whole book is that you don't necessarily always get redemption. I think that's... Like, <laughs> no, no. I think that's a very good point. Yeah, because not, not everything here necessarily got a redemption story. Uh-huh. So, they go find Lyra, and he has York wait so that he can sneak up towards Miss Coulter. He ends up instead talking with Miss Coulter, is reminded of his mother... And realizes by the time he gets back, after having this discussion, uh, him and Baruch, no, not Baruch, him and Balthalmos tell him that, you know, dude, you've been, you're now bamboozled by her in a sense. Like, you are fascinated with her because she reminds you of your mom. So now Mm -hmm. his mind in a sense is torn. So with that, he ends up deciding that he still has to go save Lyra and the best approach is going to be to cut a tear into one reality, then cut a tear back into the cave. So very similar to like the second book where they got the alethiometer back. Mm -hmm. He does the same thing. He's like, tear in, tear, there we are. And he has Ama with him as well to help wake her up. So they get into the cave and they can't find Lyra anywhere. And that's because Lyra is sleeping with Miss Coulter and I'm like, well, shit, well, we still have to get her. And all of a sudden, there's all this commotion. So it's where I'm going to pause and back up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Because, so Baruch and Beth almost were with each other initially. Baruch ended up getting sent off by Will to go meet up with... Oh, my brain just said Aslan. Wrong. <laughs> Aslan! We're now in Narnia. No, he, uh, to... Why am I forgetting his name? Lyra's dad. Uh, Lord Asriel. Asriel, thank you. That's why I thought Aslan. Asriel, Aslan, they kind of similar. But one's a lion. It's fine. Uh, Asriel, he sends Baruch to go to Asriel. And Baruch is unfortunately wounded by several angels, uh, or, you know, other angels from the other side, as he gets there. And he tells Lord Asriel several things. He tells him, one, Will has the knife. Two, Will will not come to you until he saves Lyra. And... Then as he's telling him all that, eventually his body just... I think there was a... Someone opened up a door and a breeze came through and it caused him to just drift away. Because he couldn't hold himself together. that is what you were thinking of as, like, exploding. That's what I was Whereas thinking of, Whereas he just too? kind of, like, dissolved into pieces. Right. But I swear there was, like, a much more, like, significant scene. Anyways. Uh, so, that ends up happening there. And Azrael then decides to go towards Lyra. Because Baruch tells him all the information to, like, go where Lyra's at so that he can meet up with Will. And then he can get the knife and help kill the Authority, which is, like, God. Mm-hmm. So, meanwhile, <clears throat> so, now that Baruch uh, is dead, Balthalmos is very distraught and very distracted for the most part now. Because he doesn't have his mate. And we also find out that Baruch was a brother to Metatron. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because it also, there's a lot of biblical things in here, but it reminds me of, like, Cain and Abel. Yeah. In a sense. So, but even though, like, uh, Metatron's uh, Enoch, 
I'm not sure what the parallels are. I don't remember the story of Enoch. I if I'm being honest, I don't remember. it's been ages since I've read the Bible. So <clears throat> don't at me. <laughs> just to sit down for some light reading. Light reading. Ugh. So anyways, they, the Zeppelins get there. There's a fight. There's also some little people with dragonflies. Yes. And they meet up with them. And I'm not going to talk about their names because, I mean, they're important, but not. Uh, and they end up stalling Miss Coulter Will tries to cut a tear to get out, but at, upon Miss Coulter looking at him, he his knife breaks mm-hmm. because he's distracted and he's at the tear and basically he's trying not. to force a tear while not wanting to force a tear and it causes the knife to shatter. And mm-hmm. it's like, oops, not good. So luckily I had a previous tear open to escape through. So he goes with the dragonfly people, Lyra, uh, who's now been woken up and I'm a piece out. I don't think she ever comes back. She's, she's got her own li- life in her village to That's go back fair. to. You know, she's like, fuck this. Go I don't want to be like splitting zeppelins. And they go back through this tear. I think I think they went back to Chigatsi, if I recall. And yeah, they do go back to Chigat. No. They go back through a tear and they eventually meet up with York Barrison and they need his help to fix the knife. Mm-hmm. So York offers the help, even though he really much hates the knife. He's like, this knife is evil. Like, something's wrong with this knife. But he fixes it, and he... Will's now struggling still to cut tears into, like, fabric of reality. Yeah, it's, it's, like, not the same. Because he's still... Not only that, the main thing is his mom got reintroduced, and his fear about his mom is now causing his mind to be distracted. Mm-hmm. So he can't focus. He's constantly worried now, which keeps him from fulfilling, like, like what Ivor actually wants to do. He's now second-guessing everything he's doing. Uh-huh. Because he's like, I want to go home. I want to go see my mom. But he ends up eventually getting through that, and he cuts a fabric in, or cuts a tear into another reality, which leads him to a farmland, and a dead guy, and some soldiers start running up. I know this is kind of a lot of rambling, but this is really what like happens. It's just like tear, 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 go, 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 and they they store up some food because they decide that they're going to go to the world of the dead. And Will's trying to find it, and he ends up finding this weird resonating spot, and when he cuts a tear, it's like, the way I describe it is almost like it's cutting through a deep fabric. Mm-hmm. Like something, I guess, that hasn't ever been pierced before, which kind of makes sense. And so, and this is kind of where it gets a little bit Jesus-y in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, it goes into the land of the dead, and so Will cuts this tear, they go through, they see this dead guy that's no longer dead. I mean, he's really, they're in the world of the dead, but mm-hmm. he's conscious now, freaking out. And they start following this whole group of people to this river where there's a boatman, which reminds me of the River Styx, yep. right? And mm-hmm. you having to pay your uh, price to cross the boat. Uh, unfortunately, though, the price is like leaving your soul behind in a way. Mm-hmm. Because everyone can get on the boat just fine, but when the liar tries to go on, the boatman says that Pan cannot get on the boat. Mm-hmm. And. Th- of course, this is like her soul, and she's basically being forced to leave her soul behind. Right? Or whatever that I'm not sure necessarily if it is her soul. It kind of feels like it I because it's the closest approximation. Yeah. And so she has to leave that behind because she's going elsewhere. 
And this causes her to be in immense pain. And as the boat is going down river, Will and the two other dragonfly people also experience this pain mm-hmm. of like something being separated from them that was deep within. And like, even imagine them, like they're clutching on themselves trying to keep it in, but whatever it is, is mm-hmm. leaving them. And it causes them to be like a bit colder and uh, almost in a sense, like feeling like lost. Yeah. And they get to the shore and they get attacked by some harpies. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, fucking harpies? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so, and I don't know a lot of lore about harpies, but I wasn't expecting to be in, like, the land of the dead. That kind of threw me for a loop. But these harpies, I guess, they thrive off of information. Like, they feed off of it. Mm-hmm. And they really hate when they get lied to, apparently. But it's they were fair. <laughs> they were set as the rulers of this land by the uh, authority. Mm-hmm. So they can keep all the dead people in that place. So he can rule easily enough. And they go through, they find Roger, they're like, we're going to escape. And they convince the harpies, I guess, to let them escape by letting the harpies be a guardian. Yeah. So I think it was like the way that they were keeping everybody in the world of the dead was like, you have to be miserable. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay, but why? And they're like, I I don't know. Yeah. And then when Lyra offers their escape, the harpies are distraught because they're like, how will we feed? Like, we need this. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, you can. And it, clearly you got sustenance, or not her. One of the dragonfly men uh, convinces them. He's like, well, why'd you listen to Lyra? They're like, because she was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, then is that not sustenance enough? And they're like, we listened because it fed us. And they're like, well, how about this? You let these people escape, but you hear their stories. And if they offer you a story... Then they can move on. Good enough to do, they can move on, and you are, you know... I was going to say sustenated, but that's not a word. <laughs> and... It's almost like a purgatory in a way. Like, it's a, a holding area. Yeah, it's a holding area. Until they can move on. Right. Past it. Yeah. And so the harp is going to be the gatekeepers, and they eventually get through. Which I'm like, that's fantastic. And the, what's interesting is as soon as the spirits go through, they kind of dissipate. And they join, like, the rest of uh, life, mm-hmm. in a sense. Because they become everything in mm-hmm. that moment. Which reminds me a lot of, like, Ralph Waldo Emerson and, like, Henry David Thoreau and, like, all of their stuff. So I'm it's not very sure leaves of grass. Right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure if he was inspired Whitman, by that. But you know what I mean. But they go through, again, and I think I'm almost through here. So thank you for bearing with me. But this book Bear. was fucking long. Yeah. yeah. Bear! Panzerbjorn! Um, which, that's a really fucking cool name. Because I'm thinking like a panzer. Right? <laughs> um, Armored okay, shit. so they get through, cut to some other bullshit where the church has some sort of g- genetic bomb. Mm-hmm. I don't understand this at all. Because this just, for me, felt like it came out of left field completely. Because I guess they're theological scholars or whatever they were called. They made this... <coughs> Excuse me. They made this bomb... That if it has the genetics of some person and you sever a person from their demon, you can use that energy to go through this bomb to warp through reality and space and blow up this person. Am I following that correctly? Because that's what I got. Um, I don't think I remember that section well enough to tell you. Because <laughs> like, there's a whole section where Miss Coulter goes back there. They get the hair from her locket that was cut in the very uh-huh. first book that she kept. And they use that hair, and Miss Coulter tries to stop it because they're going to kill Miss Coulter in order to also kill her child. Uh-huh. To use that energy, she goes in to try and stop it. And since she's still in the land of the dead at this point, 
she didn't quite stop it in time. So someone got severed and the bomb got activated to go fly off somewhere and blow her up. And all of a sudden the dead people were like, it was at least Scoresby and Will's dad. What's his bucket? Um, John Perry. uh, Perry, Thank you. Uh, They're like, you have to cut a tear right now and you have to take her hair and chuck it somewhere. Mm -hmm. But just think about that. Your hair falls off all the time in all places. Why would you have to do that? And I'm not trying to find plot holes in his book because I really love his book. But in my head, I'm like, eh. So Will cuts her hair and chucks it through a portal and seals it and it blows up over there. And I guess it blows up in the real world because it creates like this giant crevasse or something. A crater? Yeah. But I was like, oh, a genetic bomb that can travel through space and time. That's fucking terrifying. Right? I was like, holy shit. But anyways. um, So they get through. And they start getting attacked by specters, because I guess now they're adult enough. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, they're aging. And they start seeing the specters, and I guess their demons aren't safe, because they left their demons. I guess at this point, Will just also has a demon. I think he he's, like, developing a relationship with his demon, where she emerges every now and then. And I feel like she appears almost as, like, just, like, a spark every now and then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. until she like manifests more. Yeah. Um, but to get back to the main world, there's a whole fight scene happening. Miss Coulter after. And it's like Gil- an epic battle. No, it's what a I imagine super, in my head. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of Zeppelins and they mentioned tens of thousands upon thousands of angels on the other side being mm-hmm. fighting. But, uh, Lord Azrael's like, he's like, I'm not afraid because they want our bodies. And they're super weak, because I guess in the book they're mentioned to be super frail. Because mm-hmm. they don't have flesh and bone and blood and all that stuff. So, they're having this giant war. Miss Coulter goes over to... She gets somehow to the Citadel using this imaginary copter. And she seduces Metatron. And I was like, okay, this seems fitting for her, because she can get through anything, I guess. Mm-hmm. But... And it mentions this in the book, too. Like, a being who is so, like, ancient should know better mm-hmm. than this. But I like I like that they pointed out that the greed that they had to beat Lord Astral, stop Lyra, and have Miss Coulter caused them to basically be blinded by her. Mm-hmm. And she's even caught off guard by the fact that but she let it work. Yeah. She's like, what? Because she's like, I'm going to have to lie my ass off more than I've ever lied before. <laughs> <laughs> but she goes back to Lord Asriel. She realizes that she can't, she can't, uh, she won't betray him because how much hum- she loves Lyra. And she's like, let's fucking get this guy. And they go to get this guy and they tumble into an abyss. Whee! Right? Yeah. Because it mentions an abyss too. And I'm like, do you recall where this abyss fucking came from? Because I don't. There's just an abyss. Um. <sighs> Off the top of my head, I do not remember. Hmm. Yeah. But they have this abyss. They fall through. I don't recall if the other demons resol- dissolve. Or did they all just tumble through? I thought they all tumbled down. Because that's the thing. That's part of, That's the other thing that has me thinking about this other book. Is like, they say they fucking die. <clears throat> they, they're, they're gone. But are they gone? Are they really are they going to put Emperor Palpatine on us for the next <laughs> Star Wars movie? And like, where he just laughs? Maybe they're just going to laugh. It's fine. 
Um, so I'm not sure if they're necessarily dead. Mm-hmm. Personally. I don't recall the books saying that they actually died. But I just find that hard to believe. Um, but supposedly he's dead. And Will and Lyra end up getting up to the uh, chariot and try to free God. And he just dissolves upon like the breeze entering in. The breezes are fucking destructive, guys. <laughs> I, like <laughs> The wind will wreck you. And they're like, wow. And I guess like in terms of symbolism... Like it's they fr- like, like God didn't want to be a ruler, and he's not necessarily God. He was just the first angel who said that he was God. But I like that idea too, where it's like he was tired, like, and it's like they freed him in a sense. They saved God mm-hmm. in a way by destroying him. I was like, okay. But now the end comes along where after this whole thing, they end up trying to escape. Some specters try to attack him and Lee Scoresby and John Perry are like, fuck it. I'm not dissolving or shit. And they fight the specters uh, as ghosts. And the kids end up getting away with their demons and Will Perry and, or not Will Perry, John Perry and Lee Scoresby dissolve. And they join the universe again. And it's so sad because Lee Scoresby. I know. Oh. I'm surprised that they even got along, because John Perry fucking betrayed Lee. Well, I, I don't think they, like, got along. I think they were like, we have to do this thing, and we're going to do it together, because this is how it has to be, but also fuck you. Yeah. So, they uh, they get back, they get to the Muffalo world, at this point. And they meet up with Mary, and they have... Uh, uh, there's a discussion that happens between Lyra and Mary. And what's funny is there's a redacted version of this that I didn't know about. Because the audio the audiobook I have is the unabridged version. Mm-hmm. Right? There was there were certain lines cut from it because they were considered like not good for children in a sense, where it's Lyra basically discovering her sexuality. Yes. And those lines were redacted from the like novel that was released in the U.S. Which means if I would have read it here, I wouldn't have ever actually read that. Mm-hmm. But it's like where like Mary is basically telling telling her uh, like why she became a nun or why she left being a nun because she fell in love with a man. Mm-hmm. And this is where she comes into a role as being the temptress or the the snake. Yeah. Because she's telling Lyra why she chose her certain life, and it talks about Lyra like feeling like palpitations and like like i guess like goose prickles on her skin mm-hmm. and i did say goose prickles that's right it's like goosebumps but old school because it's 1743 <laughs> right uh and she realizes basically that she likes will mm-hmm. and she feeds will fruit and they kiss and i was like huh huh, huh. wow that's a very uh that reminds me of another story. Uh, oh. Yes. Right. So, but I guess that wasn't actually the, the tempt, tempt That wasn't the temptation. Mm-hmm. Necessarily. That was the start of it. But the problem is, is when they cut these tears into reality, every time they cut a tear, several things happen. One, dust spills out of the Mufala place and it's causing the Mufala world to die. Mm-hmm. Two, it causes another specter. Don't know why... Because in my head, I'm like, well, if you make one and you seal it, is there a specter? Because I don't recall. Did they say when they seal it, the specter goes away? 
Um, I don't remember, but I think the problem was that they weren't being sealed. Right. So I, I would imagine that it goes away because then they have to go seal them. Right. But then te- theoretically, like, if you, if sealing would fix it, then technically you, you could keep opening tears and just sealing them. Theoretically. But that doesn't necessarily solve the problem of the dust spilling out when you cut it open. Exactly. And so the only solution, this is the temptation, which is Lyra and Will now like each other, or love each other in this case. But, but they, they can't stay, the they can't world. exist in the same world. Also because there's some sort of bullshit rule that came out of left field that says that they can't live in the same universe. Because upon, upon that... ten years they'll die. Well, the, um... Because that was mentioned in the world Land of the Dead. It like, came up out I think of nowhere. That's, I feel like that is mentioned also in The Subtle Knife. Because what's his asshole that takes the alethiometer uh, has to like periodically go back to Lyra's world. Which mm. is where he's from. Because he can't exist in that world um, forever. Right. Like he has to go back and I, I don't know, right. renew or whatever. Yeah. It's just it's interesting. Like, I, I think, like the premise of it, but... I think I, Will's dad said something about that, too. Yeah, no. Will's dad said that when they were down in the... Like, the, uh, the down in the underworld. Oh, my God. So, uh, I don't know. It, for me, it's like... I mean, you have to have something that keeps them from meeting together, mm-hmm. which makes it like a tragic love story. I don't know. I'm just curious. Because I'm wondering if it's because there's only like a Will in that reality, in a sense. Because, like, it's basically going along the line of, like, infinite realities, even though they only travel through three worlds for the majority, well, four worlds in the majority of this book. No, I like five worlds in the majority of this book, because it's a farmland for a brief second. Is that your final second. answer? That's my final answer. Five. Um, but they, they end up realizing that they can't stay together. Because Will has to go back to his world, and they have to seal all the different tears. Well, and I think part of the their reasoning, too, is so Will has to go back because he needs to take care of his mother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Lyra was totally ready to be like, it's fine. I'll just live a shorter life. And Will was like, I can't. No. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's not cool. Yeah. So. In the end, they decide that they will meet up every year at the same bench in Oxford. Where uh, I think it was like every summer or... I can't remember the exact date, but there was there was a date specified where they'd go there and they'd sit there for like an hour mm-hmm. to remember each other. And I was like, that's fucking sweet. And it breaks my fucking it, heart. Oh, and it hurts, it hurts so, so damn bad. bad. Ugh! And after watching Endgame, <laughs> no spoilers, I just hurt all over. And I need to stop reading shit that makes me sad. But that's where the story in a sense ends is like mary and will go back to their world which is like ours in a sense and or it says the reader's world in like one of the documents i was reading but they go back lara goes back to her thing she can no longer read the alethiometer because she's no longer innocent in a sense i guess that's what allowed her to read it because now she's an adult and now she like or she's uh matured and she no longer has that immediate ability to just read the alethiometer. Mm-hmm. But now she's going to be starting, studying underneath uh, another scholar to learn how to read it. So here's where I'm thinking the next trilogy will take place. Because there was basically a goal that was talked about by John Perry mm-hmm. for what they need to do. And it was to basically create like this heaven. Like they need to create a heaven 
for everyone to basically meet up when. I think that's where the book has to take place over is either like, even though the knife's broken, there's something else that's messing with like the souls actually fully escaping. And maybe Lyra eventually like she starts to be able to read the lithiometer or like something wacky happens. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's kind of what I'm thinking is either like Metatron's not necessarily dead. Uh, they're, they're trying to make that heaven happen. Yeah. And the, so the first, the, um, the first in the trilogy of the Book of Dust, that takes place entirely in, uh, Lyra's Oxford. Yes. And that is before her birth and while she is a teeny tiny baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the next one's going to be the future, like, which is like after the events of the original Yeah, when trilogy. she's like 20, 20? something or yeah. 18 something. So this is the like... eight years after, which is mm-hmm. insane. So... Yeah. There was a lot there. There was a lot of me just rambling. But it was such a great book. It was so great because of the character development that happened. The way how they pointed out the temptation. Because, like, it it talks about, like, Lyra's betrayal, which was her betraying Pan Mm -hmm. leaving. Because it was, like, in that moment, she she fulfilled the prophecy where Uh she'd make a massive, she'd make a great betrayal. Without knowing it, and it was to her like her own soul in the sense mm-hmm. she had to leave And it, it took behind. it took a while for Pan to. I don't want to necessarily try that again. I don't want to say like it took a while for him to trust her again because that wasn't it. Mm-hmm. But it was like it. I mean that it caused both of them physical pain, and so it was like he was he was still hurt. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, going over a great distance, right? Like, in the first book, it even mentions that briefly, where they tried to separate, and as soon as they tried to, they ran back together, because they couldn't bear to be without each other. So, it's like leaving a part of yourself behind that makes you you. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it's like almost like trying to reacclimate and come back to terms with who you are, because you left yourself behind. But, yeah, that's the Amber Spyglass, which I guess originally was supposed to be called the Lacquer Spyglass, because the stuff inside the seed pods was called Lacquer? Right, Yes. Yeah. So I'm trying to... This is not loading very well. Um, yeah, this is a picture... Story of a girl. Oh, for fuck's sake. This is a picture of the bench in Oxford. Like, our Oxford. Yeah. Man. Such a great book. It, oh, God. It, Such it an amazing hurts. book. So, the ending just... What was the lines that you said that you read? Um, It's what... Uh, it's uh, Lyra and Will's goodbye where they're talking about how they both basically they will both become dust and so they will be together because they will be everything right which is insane and oh yeah sorry the one tear that they leave open that I guess the angels like allow to really mm-hmm. have happen is the tear between the the world of the dead and the muffler world uh-huh. which is where the dust needs to pour out in order to keep the seed pods alive mm-hmm and because I, I remember they like struggle back and forth was like, well, we could leave just one open and that could be between our worlds. And they're like, no, but that's not the right thing to do. Right. I'm so sad. Why not two? Why not two <sighs> tears? Just two. And I think part of that was because there was only room for one because of how many tears had been open for so long mm-hmm. that it was like it had reached capacity and it like it couldn't heal. Well, so that was the other thing, too, is um <sighs> I don't remember this either. Uh, what happens with all the other tears that aren't shut? Is someone going through and shutting them all? Will and Lyra do. 
like every single tear? Because like in my head, I'm like, there's infinite realities. How do you shut every tear? They so they're going back and they're looking for them and finding mm. them and sealing them. That's how I remember yeah. it happening. So yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I'm so glad you finally finished it. Finally, I know. And now I have to get through the next set. And uh, you need to read. Uh, Lyra's Oxford. All the other ones. Oh, actually, there's and another book apparently I missed. Once Upon a Time in the South. Or no, the North. South? Fuck. So here's another thing that I found by complete accident before we literally started recording. Um, was it? There's a book called The Collectors. Oh, is, I've read that. Which is like Miss Coulter? Yes. Miss Coulter's like with the Gobblers, I think? Um, I, I think I have it. It's an early life Miss Coulter and it's Seton's senior current. I think I have it. Upstairs College. It's I think I have it in my Audible. And here's another thing. So they have Lyra's Oxford, which is a dark red book. They have Once Upon a Time in the North, which is a dark blue book. And apparently it's supposed to be a green book that he's supposed to write, which is uh, a book that's about Will. Mm. Oh. But it said eventually. Mm-hmm. So who knows what the hell... I, mean, I guess he mentioned this in 2007. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I think... When did La Belle Sauvage came out? Came uh, out, come out? Is that 2017? La Belle... Let's see. It was 2017. Yeah. Oh, no. It doesn't have it on this part. It was 2017? It was in the part that you just left. <laughs> no! Oh, God! Are we here? No. <laughs> that part. Uh, La Belle Sauvage was published in 19... Oh, October 19, 2017. Right. And it was really good, and everyone should go read it. Book of Dust. But you have to have read th- these first, or it yeah. won't be important. Yeah. Um, when's the next one coming out? Secret Commonwealth. Oh yeah, so she's 2019, 20. October 3rd. And I am anxiously <gasps> awaiting that. That's coming up. At some point. But yeah. No. Again, I know it's a butt ton of information. <laughs> it's so good though. A little bit bigger than a shitload. Okay. But. <laughs> yeah. So, Katie. Yes. What the fuck are you talking about? Okay. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. So I got true crime again, and uh, I know last week was real intense. Yes. So this week I have selected true crime where no one dies. No one dies. So that's cool. I'm not sure if that's cool, though. Because, like, are they just, like, maimed and, like, grotesquely disfigured? We'll get there eventually. Okay. So, pop quiz. Pop. What would you say when you think of the most famous painting in the world? Oops, let me punch things all over. That's fine. Oh, let me make sure I have this. Oh, God, no. That was great. No. (laughs) They know too much now. God damn it. What'd you say? So when you think of the most famous painting in the world, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Mona Lisa. That is exactly how I hoped you would answer that question. I am. I was like, the Mona Lisa, or the Scream, or the one that's by uh, Salvador. The Melting Clocks? Yeah. Those are the three that immediately come to my head. So we're going to talk about the Mona Lisa for a bit here. Uh... So Mona Lisa is a half-length portrait that was painted by Italian Renaissance artist Leonardo da Vinci. What? Yes, it's true. 
It was painted between 1503 and 1506, perhaps continuing all the way until 1517. Wait, are we talking about the Da Vinci Code? No. Okay. It's real, you know. I, <laughs> I enjoy those books. Never um, read them. I have them. I have so many books. I think I only have the first four, though, because I know that... I There's think... more than three? Yes. I can only count to three. Off the top of my head, I believe there are five. Because there's Angels and Demons, The Da Vinci Code, uh, The Lost Symbol, uh, The Inferno, and I think, I don't remember what the fifth one is, but I'm fairly certain it exists. Okay. It exists. Anyways, not important. Right. It was possibly, okay, so we're back in the land of France, and we all know how great I am with French pronunciations. France? Fucking shit, dude. (laughs) Oh, yes, my France pronunciate. Yes. God, shit! Shit! <laughs> no! So now we're going to, like, throw some Italian stuff in here, too. So it'll be real interesting. Good, good. I'm going to pronounce things wrong. So you don't have to send us emails. It's fine. Oh, I really like that. It was possibly commissioned by Francesco di Bartholomeo di Zenobi del Ginocondo. Stop with a del! Or Giocondo. Just a del will do. Uh, for his wife, Lisa Garadini, also known as Lisa del Giacondo. That's her married name. Giacondo. The, uh, it's, the oil on poplar panel painting measures 30 by 21 inches and is displayed in the Louvre Museum in Paris, France. Mona is Italian. It's an Italian polite form of like ma'am or madam. So Mona Lisa is basically like... Madam Lisa. Mm-hmm. My lady Lisa. My lady. Lisa. <laughs> Lisa. Madame. It is known that da Vinci painted a portrait of Lisa del Giacondo. However, if this particular painting that is currently on display in the Louvre is that painting is still debated a bit. Other women have been proposed as the sitter for the po- portrait. Potwit. Potwit. However, the general consensus held by art historians is that this is Lisa and it was commissioned to celebrate the birth of their second child as well as their new home. Uh, The artist Raphael penned an ink sketch of the portrait around 1504. So that kind of lends some support to the timeline of it being started around 1503. Um, and our experts universally agree that this sketch that Raphael has done is very clearly based off of the Mona Lisa. So it was in existence at this point. Oh. Uh, it features the subject being flanked by large columns that are not seen in the oil painting. Flank her! <laughs> they're not attacking her. They're just <laughs> on either side of her. Uh, but these aren't in the painting as we know it. Oh. Other copies that have been produced later also have the columns, leading people to believe that the original had been trimmed. Although, like, even as early as 1993, they looked at it and they were like, yeah, no, this painting surface has not been trimmed. We don't, columns, we don't know why these are here. Um, but they weren't part, they're, they weren't cut off or anything. Uh, another possible commissioner of the painting may have been Giolano di Lorenzo de Medici. Oh, Medici. The Medici family, huh? Yes. God, those fucking pricks. So- <laughs> Literally controlled everything. But really. 
That's fine. If you're a Medici, I love you. <laughs> just not the old ones. Uh, all of the old people were just terrible. All of the old people are terrible. You got I, it. No. I'm putting that down. <laughs> I specifically mean the old people of like old, old, old. Ye old people. Yes, ye old people. Not just like the old people. The ye old people. Like the old people of the 1500s. Perfect. You know. All that weird stuff that was going on with popes and shit was bad. Uh, so the ownership of the portrait after da Vinci's death is a little bit unclear. Um, so it could have been inherited by his assistant and pupil, I think it's Saleh, me, um, and could have remained in his uh, ownership until as late as 1525. Or it could have been sold to Francis I along with uh, St. John the Baptist and the Virgin and Child with St. Anne in 1518. And this is where it's a little bit weird because the Louvre lists the painting as having entered the royal collection in 1518. So if the Louvre records are correct, that's probably more That's accurate. a long time to own a painting. Yes. They have what's owned... their oldest painting, do you know? Like what's the one, What's the one that they've owned the longest? I do not know. 1518. That means they've had it for 500... Yeah. 500, I did math. Yeah. 501 years. Yeah, That's they've old had that painting. painting for a long-ass time. Gosh. I can't even have my shit exist more than a couple months. Like... How the fuck do they get that thing to last, like, several centuries? Right? With love and a bit of dust. <laughs> <laughs> Experts have argued that da Vinci actually painted two versions. Uh, one with the columns and one without. Uh, this one I hate. It goes in the fire. I mean, I don't know why you paint the same. Like, I just want to see what it looks like with columns. So I'm going to do this one and I'm going to do that each one. stroke separate. It only takes me like three and a half years to paint a paintings, but I'm going to do two. Paint a paintings? That's what I appreciate about you. <laughs> you know what I mean. The painting was, uh, it was in a, a palace that I could not pronounce. So I did not bother to write it down because I looked at it and I went, I can pronounce half of that word, and then the rest of it goes to shit. Yeah, the I'm key not is, try. you take a word, you cut in half, you say only the vowels. <laughs> that's literally what, that's the rule I made up in my head, and most that songs... That you made up in your head. No, 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 like, I'm not even kidding. Like, it's first, when I started le learning French in my Addiction for Singers book, when I was in college, I was like, that's really weird. It's literally, you just take the word, you cut in half, and you say only the vowels. And nine times out of ten, that's actually fucking correct, at least in terms of singing. It's really weird. Huh. So that's how I learned how to speak French. Well, it was in the, like, palace of Font. Oh, so Font. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a long word. Um, after that, it was moved to the palace of Versailles when uh, it, Louis XIV was there. Uh, after the French Revolution, like, the big one, because the French have had many revolutions. Ah, uh, yes. The revolution. Yes. The, the revolution. Revolution. Ye old revolution. Ye, yes. Ye old. <laughs> Anything with ye old is... It's old. It's old. Uh, so after that revolution, it was moved to the Louvre, although it did spend some time in Napoleon's bedroom. Good for him. You know, he just... Okay, cat. Yeah, up you go. Up. That's adorable. I know. Oh. 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 oh! He wants the snuggles. Oh! oh. Oh, I wish CG was like this. I know, right? <laughs> then my familiar would be all... Okay. <laughs> all, all, all 
We should do one of those paint and sip things where it's like paint your pet and we should all paint our corresponding cat. I was like, I I paint no pet. My picture is done. (laughs) I put a table on it. (laughs) Your pet table. My pet table. (laughs) As I said, we all paint our corresponding cat. So good luck with that. CJ is a black pit. Fine, I'm glad you got some enjoyment out of that. (laughs) That was adorable. Easy come, easy go. He just walked up and was like, I need love. I'm going uh, I was like, now. I'm gonna jump up here. I even like created like a little ramp yeah. for him. And he just and walked like, right up. Shablam! Yep. <laughs> Went right for the head bonk. Dude. Anyways, after that cat interlude. <laughs> mm. Um, so it did spend some time in Napoleon's bedroom. And then at various times it was Was it before or after Waterloo? Uh I would assume probably before. So what if it's cursed? What if anyone that owns it fails? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Unless you're the Louvre. <laughs> We'll get there. Cool. Uh, it was also moved around to various other places of, like, safety and hiding during, like, times of war or other times of peril. Because mm. on the list of things you don't want the Nazis to have, the Mona Lisa was on that list. <laughs> I mean... You know. I can't tell what she's thinking. I can't tell what she's thinking. Okay, feeling. everybody is all, like, on about how, oh, her face, her expression is so en- enigmatic. Was she smiling? Is she frowning? No, she's having her fucking driver's license picture painted. That's what's going on. I want you to feel nothing. It's that where they're like, don't smile don't with your smile, teeth. Don't smile, but also look pleasant. Like, that's exactly what's happening. And at the very end, she's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Let me leave. I've been sitting here for three years. <laughs> I don't think it's that enigmatic. In, in, I can't. I can't. You know Maybe what I mean. Maybe she didn't have any eyebrows. Who knows? That's another thing. She had eyebrows and mm-hmm. eyelashes. And they faded? Yes. They have, over time, they disappeared. Well, wait, didn't they do like a, like a reimagining it's, of okay, it? Like trying to restore? It's been what restored many times. And they, using some sort of technology that does technology things, they were able to see that at one point it did have, that painting did it have. It had like brighter colors. It or... had eyebrows and eyelashes. But it. they have faded. It is a painting. <laughs> It. It, it identifies as a woman. You have you asked it? <laughs> you know what? It's fair. I just assumed. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> I'm a helicopter bitch. <laughs> I identify as an Apache attack helicopter. Thank you. Underneath the painting, visible by X-ray, is a portrait of a model looking off to the side. Some believe that this was the original Mona Lisa, but this does not fit with the historical record at all. Uh, it's recorded that the model in the Mona Lisa was smiling, which the underlying portrait is not doing. And it also lacks the columns that we see in Raphael's sketch that he did, I think was like circa 1504. Um, I mean, that's like, I think it's super cool that they can see like what is underneath it and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think that was just Da Vinci being economical. He was like, oh, he's doing a sketch. This is kind of crap. He's like, I don't like this painting. I'm just going to use this canvas and put something else over it. Because like, I know artists, that's a thing they do. Because you know what? It's Materials like, are expensive. It makes me... It's like literature classes where they're like, this book... What does the red curtain mean? It means that it's red. We always go to Jane Eyre, don't we? Yes. <laughs> Isn't that it's always what we go to? Anytime there's a book and it's like way superfluous... It's either... Superfluous? That's the word I'm looking for. It's either going to be Jane Eyre, mm-hmm. Dante's Inferno, or Lord of the Flies. Yeah. I flies. swear to God. Maybe they just fucking wanted a con show. We spent an entire semester on The Lord of the Flies, and it made me hate that book. I feel like if I had read it on my own, 
maybe I would have liked it. But no, 10th grade ruined Lord of the Flies. Thank you. That's my soapbox. So I know you're like, cool, this is all super interesting and everything, but you said this was going to be true crime. She but, can kill at a glance. But like, don't worry, we're, we're on our way. Nobody dies. I know that. So this, this painting holds the Guinness World Record for the highest known insurance valuation in history at 100... What huh? What does that mean? Insurance evaluation. Like if something So when they're like, this it? is worth this much money. Okay. And also that. Okay. So... How much is it worth? Uh, yeah, so the highest known insurance valuation in history at 100 million US dollars in 1962 which is equal to approximately $841 million today. It's almost a billion dollars. Right? I mean, it's a, it's a historical painting that's vastly famous for like what it is. I get it. But what does that mean, though? Does that mean if, any, if anything happened to that painting, that the Louvre would be compensated for that painting? No idea. I didn't care enough to look into that part of it. Like, who insures that? I Why can't I get insurance like that for a car? Like, if my car crashes, hey, guess what? Here's more money than you ever should have $800 had. million. Dollars. Oh, like, man. I don't know. $800 million. You know what I do with that money? Mm-hmm. I pay off my debt, and I try to tackle the other half of the U.S. <laughs> no, sorry, the other third of the U.S. debt. Yeah. Uh, huh. Oh, my God. So, as you said, it is a very important historical painting, blah, blah, blah. But it, it, it's like, yeah, cool. It's, like, the most famous as... We discovered earlier, it obviously pops to mind when you're like, what's the most famous painting in the world? But why is it so famous? I'm just going to punch shit all over. That's good. Again. No, that's fine. As long as it's not the glass. I don't want you to hurt yourself. <laughs> but why? Why is this painting so famous? Why this particular painting? Was there a lot of ice to try and take it? Like frozen water? Yeah. No, heists. <laughs> well, heists. Like, ice. Why ice. are you asking about ice? So lots of ice. So, the reason is simple. Mona Lisa on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are making a drink, and that's gonna. Fuck be yeah, I love it. Oh, it's gonna be a staple drink. <laughs> WTF? <laughs> so the reason it is so famous is easy. It was stolen. Wait, wait. Okay, so when you say it was stolen, do you mean the Louvre stole it, or that it was stolen from? The it Louvre? was stolen from the Louvre. Which we're going to get into that story right now. So, set the scene. Scene set. It's August 22nd, yes. 1911. 1911. It's the morning. Wait, World War One? Not yet. Not yet? Uh, painter Louis Barraud? I don't French last name. Fuck Louis if I know. Uh, he noticed that the Mona Lisa was not in its usual spot. And was confused as to whether or not it was being photographed or had been taken down for maintenance or something at somewhere else. <laughs> See, you laugh, but things. No wonder the painting like got damaged and stuff. All the powder. <laughs> I, so they're like, he was like, "Well, I don't know where the fuck it is." It had been stolen on August twenty first, nineteen eleven. And when did they recognize it? The twenty second. Okay, so it's been a one. Which we'll we'll dive into that a little bit later. Okay, okay, okay. So the the Louvre closed for a week for investigation. Uh, the image of the Mona Lisa was suddenly in like every newspaper all over. Uh, this was basically 
like as close as you can get to going viral before the internet. Yeah, in 1911. Uh Uh-huh. It was all over. French poet, French name, French name. (laughs) (laughs) French poet, as it was French name. I should probably attempt that one. Hold on. I'm just gonna look, I'm just gonna go for the last name, Apollinaire, maybe. Apollinaire. Uh, he came under suspicion and was arrested and imprisoned, and while he was questioned, he implicated his friend Pablo, his friend Pablo Picasso. No. Yes. What? So they later ended up exonerating both of them for the theft of theft of the Mona Lisa, but at one point. Pablo Picasso Picasso was suspected and arrested and questioned for stealing the Mona Lisa. Whoa. Which could have been bad because he could have been deported because he was not French. He was Spanish. He could have been sent back to Spain. So, found not guilty of stealing the Mona Lisa. However, uh, he was found, he and this other French poet, French guy, was found, were to be found in possession of two Iberian statues. Um, So I think they were, they were like, yes, you, you didn't steal, you're like, you haven't done the art theft, but you are in possession of stolen art. Um, And these statues had been stolen from the Louvre. Picasso had, had like secreted them away in like a cupboard in his house. And then he claimed that he didn't know that they had been stolen from the Louvre. Right. However, if you flip each of the statues over, there is a stamp that says, property of the Musée de Louvre. So, I think you know it was Why from the Louvre. Why did they take the stamp off? I don't know. I don't know what kind of stamp it was. I just know that it was stamped. It was marked that it clearly belonged to the Louvre, so you can't be like, oh, I had no idea. Mm. You fucking knew. You can't tell me you didn't turn that thing upside down. Uh, so, both men received a stern... Warning. A, a, they, they got a stern talking to and were sent on their way and were no longer under suspicion. And they went along their merry did way. They get, did they have to give those back? I believe they did. Did they get fined for them? I don't think so. I think they were like, okay guys, don't do that again. I'll lay <laughs> off this time, you see? Yep. Wow, that's a... So at this point, the Mona Lisa was not hailed as a masterpiece. Just back up. The Mona Lisa was not hailed as a masterpiece until the 1860s. And even then, that was a judgment that was held only by the French intelligentista. No, didn't say that word right. Intelligentsia. There we go. Um, It was not even the most famous painting in the particular gallery that it was in, let alone the whole Louvre. So it's like, yeah, why this painting? So just something more modern that we've done where we're like, oh, Mona Lisa. What? So that's just something that we've done more recently then. To me. Like, it's not, it hasn't been, like, epitomized up until recently. Uh, I guess? Alright. Well, security at the Louvre was bad. And this was kind of a known fact. Um, other museums had their paintings bolted to the wall, while at the Louvre they were just hanging on the wall. Oh, they didn't bolt them to the wall? Correct. So, earlier in 1911, a French reporter had hidden himself away in a Louvre sarcophagus just to show just how bad the security was. If he had wanted to, all the reporter would have had to have done to remove a painting would be to perhaps lift a glass case if there was one. 
um, lift the frame and remove the canvas. Museum personnel were also allowed to remove the artwork just with such like unrestrained impunity that nobody noticed the Mona Lisa was gone for 28 hours. That's, that's disappointing. It wasn't until painter Louis, French last name, um, and he was, so he was a still life painter, so he came to paint the gallery that the Mona Lisa was in, said that he simply couldn't work as long as the Mona Lisa was not there. So. Fair, because he'd be painting something and eventually it'd be back and it wouldn't be the actual painting that he Right. Painted. Um, and the, at the time, cameras of the age did not work very well inside. So anytime they were photographing artwork, they had to take them up to the roof. So Lewis persuades a guard to go... <laughs> Nearly unfortunate when Burgess came by and just shat right on, like... I See, I don't know if they were, like, on the roof outside or if they were, like, on the roof inside. Could you imagine that moment, though? Like, oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck, guys, I don't know what to do. <laughs> oh! This was our best Maybe piece. no one will notice. <laughs> wow, what interesting texture. <laughs> Can you imagine people standing around there being like, mm, uh-huh, uh-huh. I understand this. Have you seen Velvet Buzzsaw? I, we got bored. Oh. I'm not going to lie. We we tried watching it, and I'm like, I think it's going to pick up. And then it slowed down. <laughs> it does pick up. It's actually quite gory. Yeah, well, because we got, I think we got almost an hour through the movie and nothing happened yet. I mean, when it starts killing people, it starts killing people real fast. Does it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because we, what was it? The last thing we saw was, okay, the paintings, uh, the girl had found out, or the owner lady had found out about the paintings, and she's like, okay, I'm going to have a huge cut, and I won't report you, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Is this why my Netflix is all fucked up? Because it was like, you're halfway through Velvet Buzzsaw, and I was like, no, I watched the whole thing. Yeah. I think that's what it was, because okay. uh, it was when you were gone, and Jules and I were downstairs. Okay. We were watching it. But I, we, we tried to get through it, and at some point, we just were like, we can't anymore. Like, our brain wasn't in it, because we're like, we need, like, we were waiting for it to start happening. It, I think it's a little bit more cerebral. Yeah, like, and I told be, her to, I told her to, like, Jake it. Gyllenhaal, with a lot of his movies and stuff, mm-hmm. they tend to be a bit more, at least the individual movies, they tend to be a bit more thinky initially i would definitely and like, you have to, you have file to, it under that yeah because like um his like this one maybe i'll talk about someday which is uh, uh enemy mm-hmm. brilliant movie but you have to want to think about a movie mm-hmm. like you and cannot think, passively watch that. i mean i definitely wouldn't say that this wasn't a weird movie because velvet that saw is a weird fucking movie but i definitely think it's worth finishing mm-hmm. um and it does heads up it does get quite gory okay um but like when you get to the end you're just like oh Oh, oh, and then there was that. And oh, oh, like it's, it's neat. I feel like I need to watch it with some people that really enjoyed it. Like, I think if I had to watch it like with you and like John, did you and John watch it? We did. And get through it? Yeah, we watched it together and we, we both liked it. Yeah. Um, I think that might help because then maybe you can like point out some stuff to yeah. make it Yeah, and I thought I was, I was impressed with Jake Gyllenhaal in that movie. He's just a great actor, um, personally. It, the char- I like him The character that he was playing, I don't think I've seen him play a character like that. And he, he did a great job. Good. So... Uh, yes, and that has been our review of Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> Enjoy. It, that is applicable because it's about the art world. Yes. Um, and not only to try to kill many people in her lifetime. I, I mean, I would. 
Anyways, that sounded incriminating. <laughs> uh, <I'm all laughs> right, so know. they take the paintings up to the roof to take pictures of them. So he persuades mm. his guard to go up there and be like, hey, how much longer are you going to have the Mona Lisa up here? And they were like, what are you talking about? We don't have the Mona Lisa. And the guard was like, so you don't have the Mona Lisa. And it's not on the wall. Well, that's probably not good. So that's when they realize the Mona Lisa has gone. So that guard then must have been talked to. Like, because why did the guard know that the Mona Lisa was having pictures taken? He didn't. He, the painter, like it was known that you couldn't take pictures of them inside because they wouldn't turn out well. So it was known that they took them on the roof. So the right. the still art the still life painter asked the guard to go see when they oh, would be done. Oh right, right, sorry. The yeah. boss kind of threw me off. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah. So I'm with you now. this is when they're like, "Well, fuck, we don't know where it is." So suddenly everybody is looking for the Mona Lisa. Uh, France sealed its borders, and there were headlines all over the world about the missing painting. I saw like a, a New York Times one that was like, "60 detectives are searching for missing painting." So like this is. This was the, the news of the time. There was a concern that American millionaires were trying to buy up all of the best paintings in France, which that feels very specific. All of the best paintings in France. All of them. We don't even have any more. So there was a time when it was suspected that J.P. Morgan had actually commissioned the theft, which, no. Although apparently he is an art lover. I didn't know that. Uh, so there was... This was also a time of mounting tension between France and Germany, as it is before World War I. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people thought that the Kaiser was behind it. I feel like he has bigger fish to fry right now. Huh. Yeah. No, probably. So then when the Louvre reopened, after that week of being closed, it, it reopened and mobs of people were there, uh, including writer Franz Kafka, which I just thought was an interesting little tidbit. Um, they came to the Louvre to see the... It, it was like a mark of shame because there's this empty spot where the Mona Lisa would have been this empty frame hanging on the wall. So while everybody was speculating the thief or possibly thieves made a clean getaway. Vicenzio Perugia. Uh, he could have possibly been assisted by brothers. Oops. I just punched that. I am hitting shit all over. Good. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Take a beating. He, he could have possibly been assisted by brothers Vicenzio and Michel Lancelotti. Uh, I found differing accounts of it being one person versus being three people. So I don't know. All I know is that this one very specific man was the one that was charged. Mm. And that was Vicenzio Perugia. He hid in a bloom. A bloom. Yep, he hid in a bloom. He hid in a bloom. He hid in a... You know what that is. That's real rough stuff. He hid in a broom cupboard at the Louvre, where he worked as a maintenance man. It's always a maintenance man. Right? Always a maintenance man. So he hid in this broom cupboard, waited for it to close. Um, It could have been possible, since he was a handyman there, he may have even installed the glass case over the Mona Lisa beforehand. So he removed the painting tucked it under his coat and left after the museum. I'm just, I am gesturing wildly. It's fine. Yep. Just tucked the Mona Lisa under his coat and walked out after the museum had closed. And then you said that thing was what? It was 30 inches by 21. Uh-huh. But he was only five, three. So he had to like, be careful. He'd like carefully tuck it under his coat. 
Okay, so he's 5'3", right? Okay. He's, so, uh, he's approximately here. one knee. I am 5'3". I'm not 5'3". I'm slightly shorter than 5'3", but my license says I'm 5'3". Okay, so about here, right? Uh-huh. And you're telling me something about 2 to 3 feet, right? Uh-huh. That's, what? 30 by know. 21. Yeah, 30 by 21. That's sizable. How do you tuck that? That's sticking out. Very carefully, I would imagine. As I have not stolen any paintings. I don't know. Maybe he's like Kratos. He's just like, right! Shoves it right up his ass. <laughs> right up his butt. Just right up there. That'll make you moan. <laughs> That's I another thing it. I learned is that I guess the Italian spelling of Mona is M-O-N-N-A because in some Italian dialects, M-O-N-A spells a derogatory word. Sexy. Or maybe derogatory wasn't the right word. An insult? It spells a swear. I don't know. It I, spells I a swear. You've sworn at me. That was not necessarily pertinent to the theft. So makes sense. I did not It's like mezzo and mezzo. Yeah. A uh, mezzo-soprano uh, mezzo is a medium soprano. A mezzo-soprano is a rotten soprano. <laughs> <laughs> There's I know difference. some of those. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> My voice teacher in college made it very clear to call them mezzo-sopranos, not mezzo-sopranos. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just insulting your sopranos. Sopra- okay, well, sometimes they need that. <laughs> Calm down, sopranos. Diva. You can't have the melody all the goddamn time. Angry alto. <laughs> angry alto is angry. So whenever they're like, yes, let's give the altos the melody for two bars and then fuck the rest of it. Yeah. Oh. That's when whenever they're like, oh, can you sing harmony? I'm an alto. Of course I can sing a harmony. Because we never get anything else. Rage. That was unimportant. <laughs> Anyways. So tucks it under his coat, hightails it out of there. There are two possible reasons for the theft, as far as I can tell. Uh, He may have been an Italian patriot that believed that Leonardo da Vinci's painting should be displayed in an Italian museum. The other reason being, of course, to sell it because money. He may have had an associate whose copies of the portrait would have increased in value after its theft, and he would have been able to sell these paintings to buyers while the location of the original was unclear. So maybe trying to hawk it is like, oh, look what I've got. It's the Mona Lisa, but not really, but, mm-hmm. but not really. At this point, uh, it's obviously not safe to do anything with it because this is like the hot topic. Um, so it's, it's too hot to hawk it to anyone. So, uh, cause the Unless you got a really great fence. I mean, I don't think there is a fence that good. Um, should have got a wall. I, God. So, yeah, the news, like, newspapers are offering rewards for the return, blah, blah, blah. So he hides the painting in a false bottom of his trunk in his Paris boarding house, and eventually he ends up moving back to Florence. Um, so at this point, um, so I don't remember at what point he moves back to Florence, but it's been two years. And he has gotten tired of waiting or thought that it had died down enough, or I don't know what his thinking was. But he decides that it's time to sell it. How, how long has it been? Two years. That's, a, I mean, he waited a good amount of time. Uh, I mean, of. maybe he should wait like another three decades. I but mean, like, I don't know. Anyways. He, maybe he really needed the money. Uh, possibly. He's like, this painting can't make good shelter. I, 
I mean, Oops, I've did, ruined the Mona Lisa. He did have an apartment at this point. And this is where I saw like two differing versions that were both, they were like kind of wildly different. Mm. So I will, I kind of tried to like take both of them and be like, okay, this seems probable, blah, 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 put these together. Maybe that's how that didn't, I don't know. So I tried to like jigsaw things and we'll see how it goes. Not that kind of jigsaw. Want to paint a game? Uh, no. <laughs> so he tries to sell it to an art dealer for a pre- prestigious gallery in Florence. Um, and so it, this is where I start to see differing things. One said that it was displayed in this gallery for two weeks before anything happened. Um, another said that it was it, like it was displayed after things had happened. Um, either way, I think it was displayed in a gallery, possibly multiple galleries in Italy. Uh, so he sells it or takes it to this art dealer and he's like, yeah, look, cool painting. Want to buy it? Money? Things? And the dealer is like, hmm, I'm, I'm suspicious. This is odd. And so either what happened is they were like, yes, let me hold on to this for this gallery that's going to buy it. Or they bought it and while it was displayed, they were like, let's look into this. Either way, uh, what's his bucket? Obviously thought that he was going to be getting some sort of payment or reward for this painting. Mm -hmm. So again, we now have two differing paths. So they, they're investigating this painting and they find the, a stamp on Tell me what you know! They find the stamp on the back of it. I said investigating, not interrogating. <laughs> they find a stamp on the back that I assume, much like the stamp on the statues, says that it is the property of the Louvre. And they're like, well, fuck, guys. This property is the goddamn Mona Lisa. <laughs> it's like a notary stamp. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Da Vinci was a notary? Probably not. So they find the stamp and they're like, oh, yep, this is authentic. Shit, guys. Um, the timeline for that was foggy. So either what happened is they hang it up in the museum. They're looking into it. Then they call the police when they find the thing and send it send them after the guy. Or the art dealer is like, let me hold on to this. They find the stamp. Uh, What's his bucket goes home. And then like a couple hours later, the police show up his, at his door. So it's like, maybe this happened over weeks. Maybe this happened over a couple hours. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Either way, the police show up and he's like, oh, fuck. So they arrest him. Uh, he pleads guilty to stealing the painting. And he claims that he was just trying to return it to Italy where it belonged. Um, he was sentenced to just eight months in prison. And a few days Interesting. But a few days after the trial, World War One broke out and art theft was not really a front page thing anymore because there were other things going on at the time. And he, I think he only served like six months of his sentence um, because then I, he went and he served in the Italian army. Huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So then the Mo- a little redemption story there. So the Mona Lisa was discovered on December 10th, 1913. And then it was returned to the Louvre January 1st, 1914. Um, just a couple of other incidents that involve the Mona Lisa include a rock was thrown at it December 30th, 1956. 
that shattered the, ga- the glass case around it, and it dislodged a speck of pigment near the left elbow, which had to be later restored. A speck of pigment. Which, like, I don't... How big is a speck? I don't know how... I, I didn't look this up either. I don't know, like, was it a big thing? Was it a small thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, and then, so, but it was behind glass because a few years before this, a man claiming to be in love with the painting tried to cut it out of its frame. Yes, I did say a man claiming to be in love with the painting. Dude, man, sometimes you just look at the right painting and you know. Do you? I'm just trying to be, I want to accept everyone as they are, but. But this man tried to steal the Mona Lisa with a razor, so. I love it. Oh, yes. I forgot to say that. He cut it with a razor. Did I forget to say that? Yeah, you did. Oh, see, that's the thing. I sort of said it because I said cut it out of his frame. Yeah. But his manner of doing this was with a razor. So he just tried to like, like a barber razor. Like, see, my imagination was that it was like a box cutter and he was just like, ah, I'll get it out. Like a Zacto knife. Um, yeah. Like, so he tried to cut it out of his frame in an effort to steal it as he, I imagine, wanted to be betrothed to this painting. Love me. Um, so then they had to fix that. We will have many baby paintings together. <laughs> um, and then also... Just, like, based on the material, because it was, like, a poplar plank thing. Um, and it's been removed from its frame before. Uh, that particular material, like, flexes and expands and contracts with humidity. So at some point, there was some sort of a crack that formed up at the top, like, all the way down to, like, the hairline of Lisa. For the canvas, or you're talking about the frame? The canvas. Oh. Um... So then I guess they fixed that. Um, so after that, they began to encase it in bulletproof glass. While it was on display... You can't cut bullets. I mean, it's... What? You can't cut bullets? <laughs> yep, I'll leave it that. All right. While it was on display at the Tokyo National Museum in April 1974, a woman sprayed it with red paint to protest the museum's failure to provide access to disabled people. I don't, that. I don't see how she thought this was going to help. Uh, getting publicity. I mean, okay, but that's going to make people mad at you. It's not going to make people want to support your cause. Yeah. So that was, I feel like that was not well thought out. And then August 2nd, 2009, a Russian woman threw a ceramic teacup that was purchased at the Louvre at the glass enclosure. Uh, This was because she was distraught over having been denied French citizenship. And the cup shattered when it hit the enclosure. Um, As it is now behind, like, two different glass cases, the teacup shattered and the painting was fine. Of course. Take that! Which I'm a little confused. I mean, I assume there was probably some sort of a timeline thing that was happening there. So I don't know if she was, like, at the Louvre, bought this teacup, is walking around looking at the Mona Lisa, and then gets a call that's like, yeah, you can't be French. And then she's like, ah, Chuck. Huh. Or oh. if they're like, you can't be French. And so she's just like walking around in a huff, buys a teacup just to throw at the Mona Lisa. I don't know. I'm a little confused at how that happened. Hopefully it's the first one because the second one makes no sense. I mean, right? right. Like, so I was like, I'm going to stew about this. But also, do they just like call people to be like, oh, yeah, you've gotten French citizenship yes. now. I feel like that's not a thing. I don't know. You're not French enough. That whole situation I thought was a little odd. But 
that is the theft of the Mona Lisa. Huh. So, this leads one to think, had any other Da Vinci painting been stolen, that would be the most famous painting in the world. Wow. The Mona Lisa is only as famous as it is because it was stolen. And it seems that it was just by chance that it was that painting. No, that's really interesting to think about because it, what basically what it's saying is like anything that's sought after enough to like be stolen mm-hmm. must mean that's a great work. Because like when I look at Da Vinci's work, if I have to pick between like, oh, which one do you think is like, oh, a much better painting? If I've got like the Mona Lisa and then like the Last Supper, mm-hmm. probably going to pick the Last Supper. Because like yeah. there's a lot going on in that painting there's, mm-hmm. and it's, there's intricate it's details and yeah. And then there's the Mona Lisa, which is a very nice painting. But I... But is she smiling? <sighs> She's getting her carriage license painted. Like, yeah. I don't know. I'll finally be able to drive my first carriage. And then there's that whole, like, conspiracy or whatever. There was like, oh, he was having a love affair with this woman. I don't think so. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't around then. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's irrelevant. Yeah, but they're both dead. Yeah. So it's just weird to think about that literally any other painting could be the most famous painting in the world had it been the one that was stolen that night. Yeah. Was there a reason why he picked that one out? Um, I imagine probably because just it was, was easy, easy to get to and it was smaller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to take this like 60 by like. <laughs> I mean, it would be a little bit more difficult yeah! to take the Last Supper. Um Kind of like how you can't steal steal the roof of the Sistine Chapel. Not the roof, the ceiling. He did not paint the roof. Or the 16th Chapel. <laughs> did you did you ever hear about that? No. Uh, Justin Bieber on David Letterman's show, when David Letterman brought up the Sistine Chapel, Justin Bieber says, yeah, I know about the 16th Chapel. And he's like, the one. come again. <laughs> and he gave him like a little lesson about the Sistine Chapel on there. I think he actually chastised him a little bit. I'll have to see if I can find the video. I just... Uh, um... And it's also something interesting that I learned is that, so there are many, there's like a couple different copies of the Mona Lisa that were painted around the same time. And, mm. but they, they look very different. And that is because they were painted by a couple of Leonardo da Vinci's pupils, oh. which is interesting where he was like, this is what I'm working on. Do this as well. Yeah. So that way you can kind of compare art styles and like mm-hmm. see like what brush. And so that and was, that was kind of cool to look at those. They used a flourish. I... With a little twisty twist. <laughs> right here I used a fan brush, number three. That's for my butt laid. <laughs> number trois. Number trois. I don't know. I, f- I forget what three mm, in Italian trois, is. Trois. So. Yeah, it's trois. Okay. Good me. Good me. <laughs> Good me. Great you! You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, No, that's really interesting though. So. Yeah. Huh. I had something I was going to say and I don't remember what it was. Yeah. Uh. uh oh! I was also going to bring up, I was like, man, I really want to steal the Notre Dame Cathedral, but... That was something I was going to I was gonna, gonna say, where it's, it's interesting... Oh, no, that's not what I was going to say. It was about Raphael. I guess he... Child, yeah. He visited uh, Leonardo da Vinci's workshop. And he threw a teacup at it. No, just like he visited often. <laughs> oh. So I like to imagine that they were just like pals. Yeah. Hey, dude. Hanging around talking what shit about other paintings. I'm painting chapel, yo. <laughs> Did you see what the Pope wore today? Oh, my God. Dude, I'm thinking about being a Ninja Turtle. Have you seen that hat? <laughs> well. But yes, now I'm sad about Notre Dame. 
Yes. It's, and it's, I like, talk, okay, and this is something I, I've been meaning to talk about for a while, and I'll save the subject matter maybe for another day, but what's interesting is how fast the money was raised and how much money was raised in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. If I recall, $800 million was raised in less than a day. So roughly Eight, what it costs to insure the Mona Lisa. Eight, I want you to think about that. Like... We have, like, there's so many things happening in the world and all these devastations and stuff. Mm -hmm. The fact that that much money could be raised in such a short amount of time tells me we could put money into anything that's a major issue. Well, it wasn't even necessarily that it was, like, raised. People were like, take my money. Yeah. Which, I mean, I get it. Like, it's their money to do what they want. But if you want to do something, like, humanitarian like that, then maybe, like, give it to a humanitarian like it yeah. does not t- or start it's like, not going to cost that much money to restore start some sort of like fundraiser or some sort of like association that i mean like it's it's more like the fact like you have people that have like billions and billions of dollars mm-hmm. or millions of dollars and they're well content with their lives and the fact that that mo- that money could be used like raised that quickly for an issue like mm-hmm. oh wow this country's literally starving and million dollars for the country would probably like I mean, what? They could fucking buy a country for all I know. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I I'm going to buy all of that. Buy an it's fine. I want, I want Sao Paulo. No one else can have it. Um, I don't but like that to island. me, that to me, it's fine. I don't want an island. <laughs> I don't want Sao Paulo. Um, I'll buy it, have my beach house, and I'll sell the rest of it as real estate. <laughs> um, no, that to me is just really crazy, though. The fact that money can be raised that quickly mm-hmm. and about issues that, like, let's be honest... It's a building. Mm-hmm. And they would have taken care of their own building. I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing that people can raise money for that building because they they, like, they want to preserve that history. And I think, I think it's it gets, fantastic. It goes back to what you were talking about earlier, how it's amazing how we have this painting that has been preserved since the 1500s. Mm-hmm. And it's like where you have a building like that where they started building it in like, what, 11 or 12 or something? Like fucking eons ago. Yeah. Not the literal meaning of eons. The figurative <laughs> meaning of eons. Yeah. Like, and the fact that it's... I mean, yes, there's been other construction and restoration and blah, blah, blah done on it. But, like, the fact that most of it is still standing is incredible. Yeah. So, I'm... It's what makes me, like, disappointed and both hopeful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm disappointed that... that I mean, this shows me that things are possible where, like, if there's an issue... We could throw money at it and make But it, it also shows you that the people that have the money to throw at it don't care. Right. So... Cool. It's just... It, it, now Now it just tells me that there, there's got to be a way now to make... To be able to persuade people or have an issue and be able to paint it in a way where it's like, hey, you know, like, you could do said thing. Like, people are starving. Or, like, there's an issue. It could be addressed. But it did make me realize that I need a national treasure movie where Nicolas Cage has to steal the Mona Lisa. Because there's obviously a map on the back or something. I've got to steal the Mona Lisa. Yeah. And then there's I'm like... I'm going to steal the declaration. And his movies. enemy is Tom Hanks. <laughs> and... <laughs> the he steals national it. treasure Da Vinci Code crossover. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. Well, shall we roll for next episode? Let's do it. To it. Okay. Once again, today, I have my Chessex Violet Vortex dice. Violet Vortex! Um, these were part of the test sets that, unfortunately, this one was not selected to be produced, which is oh, so man. sad, because they're so cool. I like them. I got a three. And that is what paranormal. does that mean? Paranormal. Paranormal. <laughs> paranormal. Nice. Um, I weren't... 
I'm the dice. <laughs> I have it. It's in my hand. What dice is it? You all know. If you're new here, it's custom made dice that just have pictures on it because I don't know how to read. I can't. Oh God! Fuck. Oh God! Jumanji oh God! You, would you like to re-roll that as it is kind of cocked on the card? Okay. Yep. Well, we can't have cock rolls. True crime. My brain saw that, and my brain was like, "Oh, history and education." I did. <laughs> yes, the history. Of I the told scale. you I can't read. <laughs> stupid brain all right so um, okay true crime true crime and paranormal perfect well come back next week to find out what the fuck we're talking about catch you on the flippity flip <laughs> bye. bye if you've got something to say find us on anchor at anchor.fm slash wtf pod email us at wtf.podcast.mail at gmail.com find us on facebook Instagram, and Twitter at WTFAYTA Podcast. That's WTFAYTA, our acronym, Podcast. Our music was by Decker Hinckley, and our artwork was by Kirby Morgan.